All right, so let's jump into this. Revelation 22, three times in these short series of verses in Revelation 22, Jesus says the same thing three times. He says, look, I am coming soon. Three different times in a short period of verses, Jesus says, I am coming soon. And this is extremely important as we end this series. So let's talk about it again, the marriage customs. First is the marriage contract. So this would be the agreement between uh, the father, uh, the family of the groom, and the family of the bride. Right? This, or, or, you know, or even the groom and the, the family of the bride. This is where the dowry was then paid. Right? So this is where the, they would come and to the father of the bride and they would make their offer of how much they would give um, to make this contract for the marriage. Why is this important? Because this fits with our Christianity. We have been bought and paid for by the God of the universe. The Father sent his Son to pay the price for us, and Scripture tells us that we have been bought with a price, and that price is the shed blood of Jesus. So, any of us that put our faith and trust in Jesus, if you have put your faith in Jesus and his saving work on the cross and the power of his resurrection, and if you have given your life to Christ, you have entered into the marriage contract. You are united with Christ through the penalty or the price of his blood that he paid for us. Okay, so that's part number one. But in this custom, after the marriage contract was entered into, then there was a waiting period. And what ended up happening during the waiting period is the bridegroom, right? The groom would go home and he would start preparing his home to receive his bride. So he's preparing his home to eventually receive his bride. During that same time, the bride was then preparing herself to be received by her soon-to-be groom when he would come. So you have this time of preparation. The groom is preparing, the bridegroom is preparing a place, the bride is preparing herself to be received. This then fits into our understanding of what Jesus tells us, that I am, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and there's going to come a moment that I'm going to come and receive you. And the way they would do that is they wouldn't know when the bridegroom was necessarily going to come, but when he announced his, that he was coming, it would happen at night, and they would have this torch-lit parade. They would all have torches or, or whatever, these, these lights, that there would be a parade where he would come to the home of the bride, he would receive her, and then there would be this parade back to his home where then the third thing would happen, and that's the marriage feast. Right? And then after they would return to the, the bridegroom's home, they would have a celebration of the joining of these two people for the rest of their lives. This all fits with everything we've been learning about in Revelation. And Jesus actually, we had a lot of this stuff in Jesus' own teaching. We're going to look at a parable here that actually fits with part of this process. In addition, remember when Jesus turned water into wine, that was actually at a marriage feast. So we see even in Jesus' life and in his ministry and the things that he said, this process of a bride and a groom coming together. So here's the thing. We are in between one and two. We're like, in, that's where we're at. 
If we put our faith in Jesus, we have been joined with Christ. And we are now waiting and preparing ourselves for his eventual return. When he returns, he will then take us as the bride to himself for the celebration. And that celebration is for all of eternity. Okay? That's the groundwork here. So, the foundation. So, why is this all important? Because as Christians... It is our responsibility to be ready because the next thing that's going to happen is the bridegroom is going to come and claim us. If you were to ask me, what is the number one priority of your life? If you are a follower and believer in Jesus, if you were to ask, what is the number one priority of your life? I will sum it up into one thing and one thing only, to get ready. That's the number one priority. Get ready. Be ready, because the day will come when Jesus is going to receive us to himself. It's going to happen in one of two ways. Either he's going to return, and the rapture will happen, and we will be caught up with him into glory, or we're going to die. But either way, the number one priority as a follower of Jesus is to be ready. Jesus told us that himself. You must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming, and an hour you do not expect. Jesus' own words, be ready. Look, I am coming soon. So, for us this morning, for those that are tuning in through, through Facebook, for all of us, here's the question. Are you ready? If Jesus were to suddenly return today, this moment, right now, are you ready? Or would you be caught off guard? Is there a part of you right now when you think about that question, are you ready, where panic sets in? Even in the smallest degree. Where a part of you says, no, I am not ready. Can I then ask this question, how serious are we about getting ready? See, this is the questions that that, that I'm telling you, I believe it's number one priority of life. Number one priority of life. And and I want to challenge us for a moment, because think about this. A lot of times we can get sucked in. Here's the thing. Um, Right now, my job, there might be some things changing with my job, and it's kind of put me in a, not like a, a scared place, but it's kind of put me in a place where, you know, part of me is kind of in the back of my head. I'm thinking, and when I say job, I'm talking about my other job besides the church, and, and, and something in my head is kind of, you know, I have these thoughts of, is that the best decision? Because I'm thinking, you know, it's not going to be too much longer. I mean, I still got 25 years or so before I would even think about retirement, but I'm at the age where it's like, you know, I, I should probably start thinking about that. I should start preparing for that a little bit better than I am. I should, but can I just stop for a moment and let's all think about this? While I have nothing against for preparing for retirement, there's nothing wrong with that. If you think that's more important than getting ready for Jesus, you got your priorities messed up. Right? Because Jesus talked about that. Jesus said there was a rich man and he he was prosperous and he, he filled his barn. So he's like, oh, I need to build bigger barns. Right? He was thinking about retirement. He was thinking about his, his life here on earth. He's like, i got to build bigger barns. So he built bigger barns, and he filled them up. And Jesus said, an angel came to him and said, what, what good was this? Your life's going to be taken from you tonight. You were planning for the wrong thing. You were getting ready for the wrong thing. Number one priority for us as Christians is, again, I have nothing against 
planning in life, but it should never be done as a bigger priority than getting ready for Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning is ways that Jesus gave us that we need to get ready. Jesus tells us to get ready, but then he also tells us how to do it. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. I like that Paul says this. This is something Paul said to uh, the church in Corinth. He said, I hope you will put up with a little more of my foolishness. He's like, please bear with me. For I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband being Christ. What Paul is saying, he's like, listen, um, he's kind of playing the, the part of the father here in his mind because he was instrumental in them coming to Jesus. So he's playing the part of the father of the bride. And he's saying, listen, I am jealous for you because I was part of your marriage contract. And now it's my desire that you get ready for when Jesus comes to receive you. He's like, that's what, that's my, he's like, I'm jealous that you will be a pure bride, that you will be ready when Jesus receives you to himself. That's what Paul's saying. And and so we see this all throughout scripture. And and so I really want us to understand this is, is it the desire of your heart today? Is it the desire of your faith and your life to do everything you possibly can to be a pure bride ready to be received when Jesus shows up to take you to himself? Again, priority number one of life is to be ready. So we're going to look at Matthew 25 and we're going to walk through Three parables. Uh, We're not going to go into them in great detail. We'll highlight the parable and then what that teaches us about how we get ready for the coming of Jesus. Okay? So, first one is this. How do we be ready for the coming of Jesus? We must be spirit-born, spirit-filled, and spirit-empowered. This is based on the parable of the ten virgins. So if anybody is not familiar with this, let me just walk you through it. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like ten virgins. And they were waiting for the bridegroom coming. Go back to that that foundation, right? The custom. The contract has been made. They are now waiting for the bridegroom to come. Jesus says there are ten virgins. And they're waiting for the bridegroom to come to receive the bride. He says they all have their lamps and they're waiting at night. He says there's five wise virgins and there's five foolish. The five wise ones brought extra oil. The five foolish brought no extra oil. It says that the bridegroom was late in coming, which means they were waiting, but it it was taking a while. He was not coming. And it says that all ten of them fell asleep. Jesus then says that when they hear the bridegroom coming, they all wake up. The five wise virgins trim their lamps and they use their extra oil. And they then become part of the parade that is leading back to the marriage celebration. So they go with the bridegroom. The five foolish have no oil. They look at the five wise ones and say, hey, give us some of your oil. They are told no, because if we give you some of ours, we won't have enough. So Jesus says the five foolish have to return to get more oil. By the time they get their oil... They then come to where the marriage celebration is, knock on the door, and they're told, you can't come in. Basically, you missed your window to get into the celebration. Now, there are many things we can talk about with this, but it really comes down to this. All throughout Scripture, oil 
is a representation of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus is saying to be able to gain access with the bridegroom into the marriage celebration, that is not possible unless a person is spirit-born, spirit-filled, and spirit-empowered. You have to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life by your faith in Jesus Christ all through his grace. So let me explain what we're talking about here. The issue is there are too many people that have put their trust in their eternal salvation based on being a believer of Jesus, but not being a transformed disciple of Jesus. See, it's not enough just to believe. See, many people, if you ask them, how do you know you're going to heaven? If a person says, if you say, because I believe in Jesus... I want to encourage and challenge you at the same time. That's not the right answer. Because James tells us that even the demons believe in Jesus. And shudder. Belief is not enough. It's when we trust in Jesus, in his death, in his resurrection. And when we give ourselves completely to him... And he seals us in the Holy Spirit. Are we truly saved? See, salvation is not based on the words you use. It's when you hand your life over to God completely. And we should see this in our lives. We should see us being transformed into the image of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. See, here's kind of the way that I've shared this before, but it helps me in my thinking. It's basically like this. Look at your life as though it's a house. To be spirit-born is when you accept Jesus as your Savior and you hand over your life and your house to a new owner. Right? Spirit of God, you are the owner of this house now. This is your house. This is your life. It is no longer mine. I have been crucified with Christ. I am dead. You are the one I live through. I live the life of Jesus. That is to be born of the Spirit. New ownership. To be Spirit-filled is then when we make the conscious effort and we yield ourselves to the Spirit of God and saying, you get access to everything now. Right? Because think about this as a house right? Uh, Well, it's your house spirit, but I still get to control the second floor. Like these are the areas of the house that I still get to have ownership of. These are the areas of the house that I still get to have the control and power of. I am not spirit filled until I say it's all yours. Again, this is the next kind of step in the process of sanctification, being spirit-filled, where I let the Spirit of God have access to everything. The final, then, is to be spirit-empowered, meaning once I give Him ownership, once I hand over my life in its entirety and I submit to Him, now we're in the fun stuff. The fun stuff is when our lives become an instrument that God uses for His purposes and His glory. 
Because now he transforms your life, he transforms your house into something amazing and you start being used in ways that you never thought you could be used because now you're not just spirit born, now you're not just spirit filled, you are actually spirit empowered. And this is what Jesus wants for us. He says, get ready for me by yielding yourself to me. Let my Holy Spirit have access to everything. See, unfortunately, I think too many of us, including myself, we spend our entire lives struggling so much to be Christians because we're fighting against the very spirit that makes it all work in the first place. But Jesus is saying, don't do that. Allow the oil of my Holy Spirit to have control. This is what we're called to be, not believers, but disciples. Notice some of the things that Paul said about this. He says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. These are the ones that are left out. Paul is challenging us, saying, who controls your life? Is the Holy Spirit the one that controls our lives, or is it our sinful nature that controls our lives? And we're going to get into this a little bit more in one of the next parables, as far as what that looks like. Um, Paul also says this to the, uh, the church in Galatia. He says, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Keep in step with the Spirit. So my encouragement to us this morning is that the desire of your heart today, that you are actively yielding yourself to God and getting ready by yielding yourself more to the Spirit. Keeping in step with the Spirit. Letting your life be under the control and leading of the Spirit. This is one of the ways we get ready. The next one is we get ready by being on mission. This is then part of the next parable in Matthew 25. Then Jesus moves into the parable of the talents. For again, if you're not familiar, let's just go over it real quick. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a master who is going on a trip. And he comes and he gathers three of his servants together. And he, and he gives to the first servant a sum of money. Uh, that's what the talents would be. Not talents as far as a, I can do things really well. This is a sum of money. And he gives that first servant a sum of money. And he gives a second servant another sum of money. And he gives the last servant a small amount of money. And he says, I'm leaving on this trip. Here's this money. Now go use it while I'm gone. And when I return, I want to see what you accomplished with what I gave you. The parable goes that when the master returns, the first servant comes and he says, I took what you gave me and I doubled it. The second one comes and says, I took what you gave me and I doubled it. The last one comes and says, I took what you gave me and I buried it. Here, you can have back what you gave me. I'm sure all of us have heard this before, but if you ever, maybe you've said it or you've heard it at a funeral or if you heard someone say it, that you look forward to the day that you get to stand before Jesus and hear these words, well done, my good and faithful servant. I don't know if how many of us know where that comes from, but that actually comes from this parable. Jesus says that the first two servants, when they return and give the money back to their master, they hear the master say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and partake of everything. You know, here, come, let's celebrate. The last one, though, he actually gets thrown out. He actually gets judged because of what he did. He doesn't hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. So what is Jesus telling us here through this parable? Because a lot of times I think we get confused on what Jesus is going to give us praise for 
in eternity. What Jesus is saying is every single one of us, whether you realize it or not, have been created and gifted with abilities that God gave you specifically to use for his mission and for his glory. None of us have been equipped the same way. All of us have been equipped in different ways to be on mission for Jesus. Notice what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. He says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we have all reached unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Here's what I want us to understand with this. God has equipped all of us with some gifting, talent, whatever you want to call it, supernatural abilities that he has given to us to build up the body of Christ. But unfortunately, many of us fall into traps where we don't use them. But let me just stop for a moment as we go through this. Let me give you the two ways that all of us are responsible for building up the body of Christ. How do we build up the body of Christ? Two ways. Through rescue and through discipleship. Let me explain what I mean by that. Every single one of us have been gifted and are called and expected to be actively engaged in mission by trying to rescue people into the kingdom of God. Every single person in this room, whether you realize it or not, hear me on this. If you are a follower of Jesus, it is your responsibility to be on mission trying to save people from hell. God has gifted you in some way to be doing that. To be sharing Jesus with other people. The second thing he has gifted you with, and whether you realize this or not, is he has gifted and equipped you to be a discipler of other people. Meaning, you are actively involved with somebody and you are pouring into their lives. Pastor Matt actually just mentioned someone that did that for him. I am going to take what I know I'm going to take what I've experienced, I'm going to take what I have as a relationship with Jesus, and I'm going to share it with somebody else to disciple them up in the faith because we're working together to build the body of Christ. We are all called to that. Whether you realize it or not, you are called to be on mission for Jesus in these ways. So my question for us this morning, who in your life are you right now actively and intentionally attempting to rescue from hell? Who is the person or people that Christ has placed on your heart saying, this is the person I'm using you to rescue from the very pit of hell? The second question is, who is the person or people that you are intentionally discipling? Who are the people that you are getting ready to be received by Jesus by being active in mission with him? Who are these people? One of the things Jesus actually said, this was a chapter before, so chapter 24, he says, in another parable as he's talking about it, he says, if the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while? And he begins beating the other servants and partying and getting drunk. Jesus isn't uh, focusing on partying and getting drunk here or being rude. What he's saying is this. He's saying, don't fall into the trap where you look at, well, Jesus isn't coming back for a while. It's been 2,000 years. I got time. 
Don't fall into the trap and into the lie that you can start focusing more on you than on his mission. That's what he's saying here. He's like, what if the master comes back and he finds that the servant has made life about himself? You know what? I don't really want to be about the master's business. I just want to do some drinking and partying. I just want to have some fun. I want to enjoy my life. I want to do what I want to do. Jesus is asking the question, what do you think is going to happen then if the master returns and this is what he finds? I want us to take a moment, and and I'm going to set up the video, and then I'm going to ask Teresa to play it. Um, But this really impacted me this weekend. It it came to my mind as I was working on the sermon yesterday, and I went back and forth if I wanted to include it. But I I just finally decided, yep, I want to show this. Anybody that's ever seen the movie Schindler's List, there's a powerful moment at the end of the movie. I just want to take a few minutes for us to watch. Anybody that's never seen the movie, you don't know what I'm talking about. Oscar Schindler was a man during World War II that was, he purposely, intentionally saved 1,200 Jews from being executed in concentration camps. It's the story of him and what he did to save 1,200 people from death in concentration camps. And this moment in the movie is the moment where the war is over. He is now standing there with all of the people that he saved. And he is now branded a war criminal because he was part of the Nazi party. So he is seen as you are an enemy, you are evil because you were part of the Nazi party and you're a war criminal now. And this is a moment where the people that he saved are bestowing a gift to him before him and his wife flee to try to get away. And that's where we're at in the scene. So go ahead and play it.
is gold. Two more people. You would have given me two for us. At least one. You would have given me one. One more. One more person. Person is that. For this. I could have got one more person. And I didn't. And I didn't. <laughs> so here's the point there are two ways of looking at this moment in this movie based on this man's life we can either live in this life with the heart attitude and the desire that says Lord one more person Lord let me leverage everything I can for one more person Lord, use me for today, one more person. Lord, every part of my life, I want to be on mission, one more person. Or we could also be looking at it from this point of view. The day that we will stand in the presence of Jesus, and yes, our salvation will be secure. But instead of saying in our life here, Lord, use me for one more person, we're instead saying, Lord, Why did I waste so much time and resources? I could have got one more person. Lord, my life could have been used for one more person. Lord, why did I waste so much of my energy on things that didn't matter because I got sucked into the things of the world and I could have got one more person? Ten more people, Lord. What could I have done with my life if it would have been about getting ready by being on mission with you? God has gifted each and every one of you to be on mission, to win people to Jesus, and to disciple people, to grow into strong believers and disciples of Jesus. Are you getting ready to live out being on mission? Here's the last one. We are called to get ready by being holy. This is based on the parable of the sheep and the goats. This is the last one that we see in Matthew 25. To let us understand that, Jesus says there will come a day where, like a shepherd, the Father is going to separate the people. The sheep will be on the right. The goats will be on the left. This is the the illustration he gives. This is what Pastor Matt preached about when we, we learn of the great white throne judgment, the moment before God where all of humanity, either those that believe in Jesus will be put on one side, everyone else will be put on the other side, and those that are the goats will be separated for God, from God for all eternity and cast into hell. Jesus is talking about this. Now, here's the thing. Here's where I want us to focus on for a moment. In this time, when Jesus used this analogy, probably everybody that read those words could tell the difference between a goat and a sheep. Right? There's a big difference between a goat and a sheep. Now, we live in a day that there's probably some people, I'm assuming everybody in this room, we live in Iowa, you probably understand the difference between a goat and a sheep. But I'm sure there's probably somebody in this world, in America, that live in the city, that could look at a picture of a goat and a sheep and not tell, they wouldn't know which one's which. 
And what I want us to understand is Jesus is telling us, he's saying, listen, if you're a disciple of mine, you should be set apart from the rest of the world, meaning you should live in such a different way that it's like looking at the differences between a goat and a sheep. Like when people look at you and then they look at the world, there should be such a difference. You are called to be set apart in every way in, the, in, in which we live. Our marriages are called to be different. How we parent our kids, our relationships, the entertainment that we seek out, the ways that we spend our money, the ways that we use our homes, the, the, the ways that we invest in things, the way we use our time. People should look at us as Christians and we should not look similar to the world. Our Facebook pages should look different. Everything that we do should look different. Because he's called us to be different. And the way Jesus says this, that he, he actually brings it even closer. And, and Jesus, as he's talking about this, he says this. He says, listen, um, let me give you an example of what I mean. He says, when I was hungry and thirsty, you gave me something to eat and drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. When I needed clothes, you gave me clothes. When I was sick, you looked after me and you took care of me. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. Jesus says all of this. And the response, Jesus says, the response back will be, Lord, when did all of this happen? We don't remember this. And Jesus' words are this, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers of mine, you did for me. Jesus is telling us that as Christians, the way that we treat one another, the way we treat the world, the way we're set apart, and the way that he uses us should be so contrastly different from everybody else that it's just like looking at the differences between a sheep and a goat. I'll give you my one example I gave during first service that makes so much sense to me because if you really think about it, it blows my mind. But the government has moved in to becoming the entity that takes care of people in our world. People that are struggling, people that are hurting. We just went through it, right? Stimulus checks because you're hurting, so the government will take care of you. Do you guys realize that the statistics say that if the church in America, just the church in America, if we tithed obediently the way God calls us to, the church would have more than enough money to take care of the people around them in their communities. That we would be able to help people when they're hurting. We are able to support people when they need it. The church was called to do that. The church, us, we were called to do that. But because we have taken step backs in many ways and not embraced who we're called to be and being set apart for God, we're not able to be the church that he calls us to be. The other thing that I find really interesting about this is nowhere in Jesus' example does he ever give a reason not to help other people. Nowhere in here does he says, hey, when I was in prison, you visited me because you knew I was really innocent, but I was falsely accused. He says, no, when I was in prison, you came and visited me. You didn't find reasons to not live out being holy and set apart. I'll say the same thing I said in the first service, and I want you to understand this. This is not a political statement by any means, so don't take it that way. I am 100% in favor of having actual discussions and the government figuring out what we are supposed to do when it comes to issues of immigration. Please understand me when I say that. So nobody sit here and get flipped out if I say something that you don't like. But here's what I'm going to say. When it comes to people that are illegal, and I'm not trying to use this as one example, Jesus says, I was a stranger and you invited me in. Here's the deal. Yeah, 
illegal, legal, I get it. Breaking the law, not breaking the law, I get it. But my number one first priority, whether a person is here for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, is if they're in my sphere of life, it's my responsibility to share the gospel with them. It's my responsibility to show the love of Jesus to them. Now, you can take all the other stuff, and yes, we can talk about it, and that's, I'm not trying to dismiss all that stuff. But number one priority is to be Jesus for people. It's kind of the same thing when I go and you see the people on the street outside of Walmart, right? I, I loved this the other day. I didn't share this in first service, but it just popped in my head. The other day I was sitting at Walmart and I watched this. There was a guy there. He had no legs. He was in a wheelchair. Uh, he was young. Uh, he actually looked pretty fit. I didn't get to see his sign, but it kind of made me think maybe he was somebody in the military previously. Had no legs. I was able to see that. And I watched this car pull up and a teenage girl like was almost hanging out of this car. There had to be somebody in there like holding on to her, but she was reaching that far to give him money. And I was like, that's so cool. Like, it was just a cool moment just to watch this. And she kept, like, stretching, trying to get it to him. And he's trying to reach it and get it. And there's this, this great moment. But I, you might have the same ideas that I have, right? Whenever you see people in need, what's the first thing that pops into your head? You start questioning, well, why are they in that position in the first place? What did they do wrong to get in that position in the first place? What do they need to change? They need to take ownership of their actions. You notice nowhere in here does Jesus say that? Jesus says, I was hungry and I was thirsty and you gave me something to eat and you gave me something to drink. I didn't have clothes, you gave me clothes. I was sick and you took care of me. Nowhere does Jesus put into here like the hurdle that the person has to get over for the church to be the church. The hands and feet of Jesus. Right? We are called to get ready by being holy, set apart. Notice what, Jesus, or what Paul says. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Again, the contrast. If our lives look like the rest of the world, then we are not being children of light because the world is full of darkness. We are called to be children of light. Live as children of light. Scripture also says, Paul says in the same book, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Get ready by living a life worthy of your calling. You are called to be on mission. You are called to be um, spirit-filled, spirit-born, and spirit-empowered, you are called to be holy. This is the calling that has been placed on you and I. As we close, last scripture, simply this. This is the end of Revelation. This is right after Jesus says, look, I am coming soon, and here is the response. Amen, come Lord Jesus. Can I ask you a question this morning that I've been asking myself this entire week? Can you say those words? Right now, can you say those words? Yeah, I know we're, we, 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 we know we're supposed to be able to say them. Right? That should be what we say. But are we living in a way that we are getting ready? And is our heart's desire to say right here, right now, amen, come Lord Jesus. I know many of us are probably saying this because we look at the chaos in our world and in our country. And we say things like this. I just wish Jesus would come put a stop to all this. Because in our minds, what we're thinking is, Jesus needs to come and deal with those people. But the issue is, when Jesus comes... He's also going to deal with us. Are you ready for that? And are we getting ready? This is an everyday thing. Are we getting ready? Am I getting ready? It's a question I have to ask. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray.
Father God, uh, help us with this. I know, help me with this. It is so easy to get wrapped up in the things of the world. It is so easy to get distracted. Same thing I talked about last week. It is so easy to get distracted. Lord, and we, and we fail to get ready. We fail to get ready. Lord, help us to understand. Help me to understand that the number one priority of my life is to get ready for your return. Because it's going to happen. That's the truth of revelation. It's going to happen. We are going to stand in your presence, each and every one of us, and it is our responsibility to get ready. That's what you call us to. I pray that your spirit will speak deep within each and every one of us to this important truth that you call us to get ready and that you empower us to get ready. It, it goes back to number one, to be spirit-born, spirit-filled, and spirit-empowered, Lord. I can't live on mission, and I can't be holy unless it's the Spirit of God in me and through me that's accomplishing that in my life. So, Lord, let us get ready. If we need to do business with you and come to know you, to submit ourselves to you, Lord, let us do that. Let's not leave this place and, and just go on with life. Because you call us to be ready. Let us hear the words of Jesus three times. Three times as you close out scripture. Look, I am coming soon. Let us embrace that truth as we get ready for you. We give you praise and we just love you. And let this be motivated out of love. Just bless us this day. In your name we pray. Amen. Go in peace.